Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SayMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and this is the second part of the Q&A episode where I'll answer the question, what's the difference between TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies? So during the previous Q&A episode, I chatted about TPO antibodies, and in this second part, I'll be talking about thyroglobulin antibodies. So I am going to refer to the blog post I wrote in February of 2020. The title is Thyroglobulin Antibodies in Hashimoto's and Graves' Disease. And of course, I'll make sure to include a link to this blog post in the show notes, which you can check out by visiting SaveMyThyroid.com. So I start off by talking about antithyroglobulin antibodies being one of the three main types of thyroid autoantibodies, and they are commonly associated with Hashimoto's. But as I mentioned during the previous episode, I mentioned how it's not uncommon for those with Graves' disease to also have elevated antithyroglobulin antibodies along with having, of course, the thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, which is a type of TSH receptor antibody. And as I mentioned last week, I'll have a separate episode where I focus on those Graves' disease antibodies. And so why do antithyroglobulin antibodies develop? I mentioned here that antithyroglobulin antibodies develop when there is damage to thyroglobulin, and thyroglobulin is a glycoprotein secreted by follicular cells of the thyroid gland, And the most common reason for damage to thyroglobulin is from Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the autoimmune process related to Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And then I mentioned again the triad of autoimmunity, which I mentioned in the first part where I focus on those TPO antibodies. As for thyroglobulin, the research suggests that there is a possible correlation between thyroglobulin gene polymorphisms and thyroid autoimmunity. So I mentioned that briefly with TPO antibodies too. There could be some genetics involved. And then as for the prevalence of those antithyroglobulin antibodies, the source varies, just as the case with TPO antibodies. So I mentioned here that one source stated that the prevalence of antithyroglobulin antibodies was 60 to 80% of ha- in Hashimoto's and 50 to 60% in Graves' disease patients, where another source stated that they were identified in 70 to 80% of those with Hashimoto's and 30 to 40% of Graves' disease patients. And I would say it's more towards, I don't think half of my Graves patients have those elevated antithyroglobulin antibodies. For those who test for it, I would say maybe it is closer to one in three. And then I talk about the significance of having elevated antithyroglobulin antibodies. So besides confirming the presence of an autoimmune response, having elevated antithyroglobulin antibody usually means that damage is taking place to thyroglobulin, which I mentioned earlier. And since thyroglobulin plays an important role in thyroid hormone production, if sufficient damage to thyroglobulin takes place, then this can eventually result in hypothyroidism. So I spoke about this during the first part of this episode, where that could happen also with the TPO antibodies, when you have elevated thyroid peroxidase antibodies, that means that enzymatic process is being affected. Thyroid peroxidase is important for production of thyroid hormone as well. So again, whether or not you have elevated TPO antibodies or elevated antithyroglobin antibodies, or of course, both of those antibodies, then there is a greater chance of you developing hypothyroidism in the future. And we know this with Hashimoto's that 
hypothyroidism is likely to develop, even though that process takes years. That could take 5, 10, 15 years to develop. A lot of people with Hashimoto's, they have subclinical hypothyroidism where the TSH is elevated or maybe not even above the lab range, but above the optimal range, but the thyroid hormone levels are within the lab range. Although again, many times we'll see those below the optimal range. But most people I see with Graves, they have hyperthyroidism. But over time, if the autoimmune response isn't addressed, it could turn into hypothyroidism. Again, it could take quite a while for that to develop, but just wanted to bring that up. Then I also talk about the reference range when it comes to antithyroglobin antibodies. So last time I spoke about the reference range for those TPO antibodies. And the range of antithyroglobin antibodies, according to both LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics, is less than one IU per milliliter. However, other labs use different methodologies, which can result in different reference ranges. For example, if you visit the LabCorp website and do a search for antithyroglobin antibodies, the methodology currently used is called immunochemiluminometric assay, ICMA. So I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but it's that methodology. And then on the lab reports, they specifically say that's measured by Beckman-Coulter methodology. However, I had a patient, I mentioned here how I got a patient get the antithyroglobin antibodies tested at a different lab that used the Rausch Elecase Electrochemiluminescence method, and the reference range was 0 to 115 IUs per milliliter. And then in addition, on the lab report, it stated that thyroglobulin antibody results cannot be compared across different methods. So even if the units of measurement are the same between labs such as the IUs per milliliter, due to different testing equipment, chemical reagents used, and analysis techniques, you can't necessarily compare results from different labs, which is one reason why it's a good idea to try to use the same lab on a regular basis. And I went on to give an example with a patient. Um, this was in May 2019. I had a patient who tested an antithyroglobulin antibodies through Vibrant America and had a value of greater than 4,000 IUs per milliliter. And then in August of 2019, so what is that, three months later, she retested the antithyroglobin antibodies at LabCorp, a different lab, and it had a value of 43.2 IUs per milliliter. And then two months later, she went back to Vibrant America, and the value was, again, greater than 4,000 IUs per milliliter. So the point is, yes, you want, in either case, they're, they're elevated, and you want the antibodies to normalize, get below whatever reference range it is, and well below the reference range, obviously, for LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics. In that case, it would need to be zero. But I use this example to demonstrate why you can't always compare the same marker using different labs. And then I went on to mention that there's a separate test for serum thyroglobulin. And this is important. Remember, thyroglobulin is a protein produced by the cells of the thyroid gland. And normally its concentration in blood is low, but there are a few factors that can increase the serum thyroglobulin levels. And so there's a difference between the thyroglobulin and the thyroglobulin antibodies. So I've seen in the past, I've had some people where the doctor ordered thyroglobulin thinking that it was the antibodies. It doesn't happen too often, but it has happened. So you just want to make sure that they test the antibodies. Now you could test both of these. Then sometimes I'll do that. They'll test the thyroglobulin antibodies and they'll test the serum thyroglobulin. And so 
having elevated antithyroglobulin antibodies can cause an elevation of serum thyroglobulin levels. So if you test both of them and they're both elevated, that's not a surprise. But then I also mentioned that serum thyroglobulin can be elevated in some cases of thyroid cancer, including thyroid adenoma, thyroid papillary and follicular cancer. And it's not common. I mean, even those without Hashimoto's, I've seen the thyroglobulin, the serum thyroglobulin elevated. And so that does not usually mean that it's cancer related, but it can be And then a third reason why serum thyroglobulin can be elevated is because someone has an iodine deficiency. And I mentioned how this is an overlooked cause of elevated serum thyroglobulin levels, but I mentioned a few different studies that show that thyroglobulin can be used as a functional biomarker of iodine status. And again, I include the links to that. I give some additional information on anti-thyroglobulin antibodies and how most Conventional medical doctors, including endocrinologists, don't pay much attention to thyroid antibodies, and some of them don't test them at all, or a lot of them actually will test them initially just for diagnostic purposes to diagnose Hashimoto's, for example. It's not really diagnostic of Graves, although I will say that getting back to those TPO antibodies, I've had some people where they were diagnosed with Graves, even though they didn't have the Graves disease antibodies tested, they had the TPO antibodies and sometimes TPO antibodies and the thyroglobulin antibodies. And in the presence of hyperthyroidism, those don't always mean that someone has Graves disease. They could also have Hashi toxicosis, which I discussed in a different podcast episode that you could check out. And then just as the case with TPO antibodies, I also mentioned that there isn't always a correlation between high antithyroglobulin antibodies and the severity of, of the autoimmune process. So if someone has antithyroglobulin antibodies that are 100 IUs per milliliter and someone else has antithyroglobulin antibodies that are 1,000 IUs per milliliter, this does not mean that it'll be more challenging to restore the health of the person with the higher antibodies. It comes down to finding triggers and correcting other underlying imbalances. And the same goes with pretty much any antibody. Although I will say with the Graves antibodies, it does seem that the higher the antibody, the more vigorous the autoimmune response. But still, it comes down to finding, removing triggers, correcting underlying imbalances. Just because someone has antibodies that are extremely high does not always mean it's going to be more challenging to get that person in a state of remission, to restore that person's health. And then I just go on to talk about how to lower antithyroglobin antibodies. And I mentioned some of these during the last episode where I spoke about how to lower thyroid peroxidase antibodies. So Again, regardless of the antibodies, it's really the same process. And actually, episode number 50 of the podcast, I have an episode dedicated to how to lower thyroid antibodies. So I would refer you to that episode if you want to learn more about how to lower thyroid antibodies. And I just mentioned a few other things in this blog post. Don't forget to incorporate the 5R protocol, which I've mentioned during a different podcast episode. Ask the question, can infections cause elevated antithyroglobulin antibodies? So again, you could check out the blog post if you would like, but I guess that is all I want to chat about when it comes to antithyroglobulin antibodies. And so I hope you learned a lot between this episode, which was part two of the episode where I answered a question, what's the difference between TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies. Of course, the last episode, the first part, focused on the TPO antibodies. And again, this part, the anti-thyroglobulin antibodies. So I hope you found both parts 
of this Q&A episode to be valuable, parts one and parts two. And as usual, I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.